3: Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here.
1: From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner, your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azov and Stefan Rosner.
0: What's up, everybody? Episode 34 of the Back Check. We are live. Brendan and Stefan here, as always. And a lot has happened since Monday that we are going to dive into around new york hockey but first we have to announce that our special guest on this show is rob shrimp former new york islander you might remember him by scoring that baseball style goal i know that that's what gets stefan excited when we were talking to him so great interview he's going to go into a couple of stories of his playing days what it's like playing overseas give his two cents on the tom wilson incident as well so it was an awesome time talking to rob but first stefan how you doing today buddy
3: I'm doing great. If you tell by my voice, I had a very fun night last night and my first <laughs> night in Buffalo visiting my brother. But all in all, feeling good. I'm a little tight. I'm a little pissed off.
0: Oh, here so, we go. Scheduling issues. Okay,
3: yeah, scheduling issues. <laughs> so I'm up here until I'm going home Sunday. It's an eight-hour drive back to Long Island. And my mindset was, you know what? If the Islanders play during my brother's graduation, no problem. I'll skip my brother's graduation. Like It wasn't even a thought in my mind that I'm skipping it. And they announced today, my sources confirmed that the game will be played this Sunday at 12 o'clock Eastern time, in the dead middle of my drive home to Long Island, and everyone's like, well, you know, you could stream, you know, it's not a problem. Okay, this is what happens when you drive from Long Island to Buffalo. You get about five hours of just dead zone, no connection. Well, use a hotspot. Well, dumbass, to use a hotspot, you have to have connection with your phone service, so I can't use a hotspot either. Not a carrier one. I don't own a carrier one.
0: You can pick one up. Why right. don't you just leave at 3.30?
3: Well, that's what I'm thinking. So I'm going to talk to my, my pal Kyle Linen, who's making the drive, and say, listen, can we leave at 3.30? And if he says no, I'll just have to kill him. I think that's, that's how it has to be. <laughs> and then I'll fly home at some point.
0: I think if you leave at 3.30, it's actually beneficial because you miss all that traffic when you get closer Honestly, to the city.
3: Yeah, you're probably right. But I was really hoping it would be Saturday during his graduation because I'd rather not sit through that. And watch or you Saturday.
0: leave... Leave Sunday uh, 3 in the morning. Do what I used to do when we were driving to Myrtle yeah, Beach. Yeah,
3: Brendan, we're going to be so hungover Saturday night.
0: We were too.
3: <laughs> I, it's a problem for another day. Let's get, back, let's get back to the episode. A little bit of a tangent there. But Brendan, no, we do have to talk about some Rangers news. Obviously, Coach Quinn, Gonzo. And I think that was ultimately the belief that was going to happen. It was just a question of when. So, first of what's your initial reactions? I'm, I'm going to think that you're, you're okay with this move depending on who they hire next.
0: So when I saw it, I looked at the heavens and I said, thank you. I'm not that crazy because obviously they felt like, hey, David Quinn wasn't doing the job. And guess what? They looked at him as a player development guy. He kind of did his job there in regards to player development. Capo Caco went from an abysmal first season defensively to a good second season defensively and wound up turning it around. So he developed the guys enough, but now with the obvious aspirations being postseason or bust, it's time to get somebody in there that knows how to win in the postseason. Uh, I agree with the move. I was kind of shocked that they fired Jacques Martin along with him. I didn't think that they would fire him because of how good of a job he did defensively. He's a veteran coach. I thought maybe they'd leave him on the defensive side, but it's very rare that you see a whole staff get fired and one assistant coach get left there. So whoever comes in now will get the opportunity to name his full staff. And I actually tweeted out my list. I think it's Gallant, Roudreau, Tockett, Hartley, and Chris Knobloch are the five candidates in my mind that I would want to see. Now I know I'm leaving out John Tortorella. I don't think he's a fit for this Rangers team with the way they're built right now, but obviously he will get interviewed because James Dolan loves him and Chris Jury played for him. So there's a couple of ties there. I really hope they don't go there. Boudreaux is close. He's climbed up my list. I kind of like him. He's got a, he's never had a losing record with any team he's coached. He's seasoned in the playoffs. He's going to have a team now that's, a juggernaut offensively when they're healthy, has an up-and-coming defensive core, so he's got that veteran mind that can coach them. And he obviously has connections around the league, so he'll be able to bring in good assistants. So not really you know, against that, but I do think that Gallant is the favorite.
3: I would agree. is tough because I just feel like his time coaching the NHL is done. I don't think he'll get back into it. He is older, and I also think that he's had some really good teams, really good teams, and has come up short. And I just don't know if the Rangers who are trying to get to that – he might bring them to the playoffs. And I think any coach that comes in is going to bring them to the playoffs. The question is, does he get the most out of his players when the games on the line?
0: Well, that was to- the same question of Trots until the year prior to the that's Islanders. That's true. Yeah, that's so true. it I just, only takes one.
3: I just think that – I just think that the pedigree is a little different. I don't know. It's, it's. I mean, you never know what happens. I think the thing was that Coach Quinn didn't know how to coach in big games. And I think you have the same issue if you bring Boudreau in there. When it comes down to it, those big games, the players, he doesn't get enough out of them. But like you said, same thing was with Trots. All it takes is one cup to change everyone's mindset. I just think that Boudreau is, is is out of it in regards to top candidates. But I think Gallant would be a perfect fit because Gallant's proven that in big moments with he an has unexperienced it. team. He has no, it. no. Well, you bring a team that's never—you bring a team of mediocre player, not mediocre. I shouldn't say it like that. Second, third, fourth liners, a mix of new players in a new environment with inexperience as a team, to a playoffs. Get them as far as they go. I feel like that's sort of what the Rangers need right now. They have the the skill. They're a young team. They're they're inexperienced playoff wise. They need someone that could get them to rile up, get together, and showcase. Hey, like, hey, you guys can do this. You may not have all the factors, but you have enough to get there. And then when you get there. He did get the most out of it until uh you know, it came down to the Stanley Cup Finals where anything could happen, obviously.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean, imagine it they do hire Boudreaux and then you get Boudreaux versus Trotz. That would be the shortest arm like baldest <laughs> head coaching matchup this rivalry's ever seen. They'd both be red right in the face behind the bench. It would be hysterical to watch. But uh to me, Gallant is the favorite. Yeah. Now he had that one good run with Vegas, but outside of that, he hasn't really had Florida. He's always been a good coach, but when yeah. he, you're talking about postseason pedigree, if you're going to go straight on postseason pedigree, the obvious answer is, unfortunately, John Tortorella. So it's very interesting to see But Boudreaux has a Jack Adams award under his belt. We know what Gallant's done. Uh, I think if you're going to go veteran, you go Gallant. Yeah. I, I think, like you said, he took that Vegas team, and it's a different situation because those weren't young people. They were veterans, but he got the most out of them. He could do the same thing here. I I don't think they're going to go Knobloch, even though I would love for him to get hired. Just, and I'm not even basing it on that one nine nothing schlacking. Like I think that he's been coaching the majority of these young kids in Hartford. He's seen them, gotten to know them. Let's bring them to the next level and see what he's got. He's going to have Bob Hartley is an underlying candidate as well. After getting fired in Calgary, he's won championships overseas. He took a Calgary team to the playoffs. Now look at what they're doing. So.
3: Well, think about Knobloch for a second. So you have Drury, right? Drury was the general manager of their AHL team, right? The Wolfpack. He worked his way up. If anybody knows Knobloch, it's Drury. And if Drury believes that Knobloch's ready to take that next step since Drury just took that next step, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. Maybe he's not a head coach. Maybe he comes up as an assistant coach because if he's still here when Drury, you know, in the next couple of weeks, I guarantee he will be. If Drury believes in what Knobloch does and he's grown around those young kids and he's have developed them in the minor league level, why not have him on, at least on the coaching staff? Unless he thinks he does a good enough job in the AHL and doesn't want to leave him there. But, I mean, Knobloch, if he thinks he's ready, why not with the Rangers with this young group he's already raised pretty much?
0: Well, I can tell you why. It's because Dolan is going to have some input. He might nice. not be the ultimate decision like maker. I think it's going to be Drury. It's going to be his choice. But there's a reason they fired Quinn, and it's because they want somebody that has been around the block. They tried the new coach, and they tried the college coach coming in and, and that type of thing. Now, Block's never been a head coach in the NHL. He's been an assistant. So he does have a little more coaching experience than Quinn did at this level. But to me, it doesn't fit that theme of wanting to have somebody that's been there, been around they want the block. Star,
3: they want a star coach. They want a, named, a coach that when you say his name, people think respect and pedigree and something like that.
0: I, I think it's it's not even of that. Now Dolan's always gone after big names. When you look yeah. at the Knicks, right? He went after Phil Jackson, that backfired. So going after the big names isn't necessarily a good thing. But forget the big name. I think he just wants somebody that is not going to make those rookie mistakes that we saw Quinn make it sometimes. And I personally think that Quinn, he did an okay job, right? I mean, if you think about it, as much beef as I had with him, <laughs> they still wound up being over 500 in rebuilding seasons. So he did something well. Now, when you look at the power plays and how the rookies weren't getting time, and sure, they're, they're loaded with, like, you're not going to take a Panarin off the PP as a banish ad these guys. But sometimes you have to mix them in, especially on that second unit, at least give the second unit some more ice time. Uh, and, and I think somebody like Gallant would do that. Now, we, <laughs> if we're going to see it firsthand with whoever they hire, will they start to change that theme and give these kids some more time? Because Lafreniere playing on that first line, man, much different than him playing on a third line, and uh, I think that we're going to have to, to watch how this progresses. But to me, this is almost a bigger decision than you know going after an Eichel or something like that. If you pick the wrong coach right here, you're stunting the growth of your whole entire rebuild.
3: So after, so, being an Islander fan and covering the Islanders, when Trotz came over, I remember the, one of his first meetings that he had with the press. He said, listen, it's a, it's a fresh start for all these players. I don't know these players the way other coaches that have coached the Islanders know these players, so first impressions are a big thing. So that allowed Islanders that – especially with uh, Tavares gone, that allowed Islanders that never got that extra opportunity during games or that extra couple of minutes because Tavares obviously would get the opportunity – to yep. make a name for themselves, to prove to Trotz that hey, an extra shift I want that, or I want to move up in the lineup, or I had a really bad year and was a healthy scratch more often than not, but now I get the chance to showcase. You bring a new coach into the Rangers; it doesn't it doesn't matter how good how bad Zabanajad was last year, or how good a rookie was last year. It doesn't matter because it's a brand new slate. Yes, coaches come in have an idea of okay, who's going to be my my top forwards, who's going to be my top defenseman, who's not going to play often. But at the same time, young guys – on this, this Rangers team is very young. There are be guys that didn't show enough this year that in the first couple of weeks with this new head coach behind the bench makes the greatest first yeah. impression and come opening night is a staple on the second or third line when maybe they were a fourth-line fringe player. So this is – this is I think this is a bigger deal than getting a guy like Ike because you look at this Rangers team and, of course, adding Ica, which I don't understand people – well, he's got a neck injury that's, you know, it's sus. We shouldn't go after him. That is the most bogus thing I've ever heard because Jack Eichel, first off, he's going to leave Buffalo. I don't think there's any chance in heck that he starts a season with Buffalo. So the fact that he's going to get traded, he's a superstar. His neck injury will be fine. Buffalo didn't hand it, handle it correctly, but now they're going to do rehab, no surgery. And if they think that that goes well, he's going to be fine. He's, a, he's an unreal talent and the Rangers love to have him. But like you said, at the end of the day, you bring in Eichel, that's great. But if your coach does not do its job, doesn't know how to handle your young players and mixing with veterans, the Rangers are not going to make the playoffs, and we're going to have the same issue. You're going to see your coach probably get fired, and it's just a bad bad thing for everybody. So I think the next couple of weeks, I think they're going to try to hire a coach as fast as possible. I think that's the best option, but I wouldn't rush it if the right coach isn't there. But we know how many coaches are available, Brendan. You just went through the list. There's top guys there, but other teams are going to be asking around. There's a bunch of teams that need to catch coaches, so I don't think the Rangers really could wait too long.
0: No, I think the Rangers can afford to wait. And, and here's why. When you look at the other teams that are looking for head coaches, none of them have the situation you're going into when it comes to the Rangers. Forget the team right now. It's New York. It's, the, it's coaching in the Big Apple, coaching in MSG. That always has an alert no matter what. But now you're adding the fact that this is a team that's on the rise, a team that's competing right now in one of the toughest divisions in hockey what's supposed to be a rebuild. They have their starting goaltender. They have the defensive corps coming in. Their offense is already very good. So you're not coaching a team now that's young like a Buffalo where you're going to have to be the architect of a rebuild. You're coaching a team that's built, and now you have to propel them to the next level. That's very attractive for a coach because if you have faith in yourself and think you can get the most out of a team, why would you want to take one of those other opportunities? I'll wait until the Rangers tell me no before going to that opening. So I think when you're ranking the openings right now in the league, the most attractive is the Rangers. And these coaches are all going to fight for that one job. And then once the Rangers do make their decision, I think you'll see other teams start to fill their voids with whoever is left from that kind of battle, if you will.
3: I agree. I agree, I guess. You make, you make good points, Brendan. That's why, that's why you're on this show. Thank um, you. Really, um, really appreciate it. Check, but I, again, I think about with Chris Drury is also he has a respect level as well. You know, coaches, I mean, Chris Drury was a hardworking player. He's pretty much a guy that you would love to have coach coach an organization I mean, obviously he's the general manager I think a lot of guys coming in realize that like you said who doesn't want to coach the Rangers right now it's a top opportunity for a head coach to make a name for himself or continue their legacy or whoever that may be but I think we could settle Britain that we both believe that Gallant would be the best fit right now
0: right now I would say yes yes Gallant is the best fit for this team and I would be very content if they hired him But we never know. And in regards to the Eichel thing, I tweeted out a couple of times. Yeah. The reason that you stockpile prospects like the Rangers have is, A, A, you want some of them to pan out. Yeah. But if you're able to pick, if you have 10 great prospects, odds are in this league, if five pan out, you did good. Mm -hmm. Which means you've got to pick the right five to move. and. For somebody like Eichel, I would have no problem if they started to trade some prospects. Do I want to see Nils Lundqvist go? No, I think that he's going to be really dang good, and I would like to see him play. Do I want to see Miller go? No. Do I want to see a Kako go? No. I'd love to keep all of them too, but you got to make you got to you got to give to get, right? And I don't think Kako will ever reach the ceiling that Eichel has. So Eichel's only 24, and he's a center. It's more valuable. So I'm sorry if they had to give up Kako to get Eichel. I'm for it.
3: Completely agree. So we, we do have playoffs to discuss, Brendan, because you know not every division is locked and loaded just yet, but the East and the Central are. So I think now's the best time to dive into our expectations for the series. Now, obviously, we're going to put Bison aside here, yep. especially for me, because obviously the Islanders play the Penguins. Islanders end the season as the four seed. Penguins end the season at the one seed. And if you look back at the regular season, which really has no bearing now at all, you could look, I mean, stats really, at the end of the day, do not matter. It gives you a good idea of what a team has, but against the playoffs. Anything could happen. But the Islanders did lose four of six to the Penguins this season in eight games. Four of those losses came in regulation. So they did not handle the Penguins that well. Now you look at the trade deadline, and Jeff Carter's been unreal at 36 for the Penguins, adding even more depth. All the Islanders have had lackluster play from Palmieri, and Zajac Palmieri did score against the Devils on the second-to-last game of the season, which was huge for him. The Islanders looked better in that Boston game that they lost the last game this season in overtime, but that was the kind of game that the Islanders need to bring. That's a tough Bruins team. They did lose, but it wasn't a matter of, it was one of those games where they played really well and lost rather than them playing like crap and losing. So you go into the playoffs now, Islanders don't get home ice. The Penguins were as good on home ice as the Islanders were, and they were probably the top two in the league. So the question becomes now, which Islander team shows up in the playoffs? Now, a couple years ago, the Islanders played the Penguins, and I'm pretty sure they brought out the Bruins. Now, again, that was a couple of years ago. That is not this season. This is a complete different year. But, you know, I'll let you go first, Brendan, while I think about my answer. But Islanders, Penguins, who wins this series and how many games do you think it takes?
0: Ooh. It's okay. I, mean, I won't, I won't be hard. angry at you. I won't be angry no, at you. I'm crazy. not even worried about that. I So, in my opinion, the Islanders are better built for the postseason. Agreed. Right? I think that they are the better postseason team because of their defense. But they have underperformed recently. And the Penguins have a chip on their shoulder from last year. And I, I think that when you're evaluating this series, you have to realize that somebody like a Sydney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Latang, these guys want one more crack at it. And the fact that they got washed out by a team that shouldn't have even made any qualifying round last year in Montreal does not sit well with them. So I got to think they're going to ratchet it up a year. And do I have confidence that the Islanders can turn it around? I think that they will once it matters more in the postseason. But do I think they could turn around enough to beat the the Penguins? I'm not sure. So because of that, I'm going to say Penguins in seven. I don't think the series is short. And I really think that if there's one series that I'm picking where I'm wrong, it's this one.
3: Yeah, so when I look at this, obviously it's, it's tough. It is always tough to put bias on the side because you don't want to say your team's going to get eliminated in the first round. But the way I look at it is the Islanders' defense was very good again. Their goaltenders were up for the – you know the team. it's a team award, the Jennings, even though it goes to the goaltenders because it speaks volumes about a team's defensive zone play, obviously. Yep. And obviously Vegas took it home, Leonard and Fleury. So congratulations to them. Robin Leonard, former Islander, who won it with Thomas Grice a couple of years ago. If the Islanders can play shutdown hockey like they did against the Capitals in last year's playoff run where they allowed only three Capitals to score, and that's a team full of offensive talent. If they could do what they did last year, again, same you know, similar defense structures, same stats pretty much defensively, then they have a good, you know, good chance of winning this series. The problem is Crosby. Crosby kills the Islanders, and he's one of those players that steps up in key games, and I think if the Islanders played the Penguins last year, I don't think they allow only three players to score. I think it's very different. I think the Capitals – were horrendous under Chad Reardon in the playoffs. He didn't seem like they got them battle-ready at all. And the Penguins, like you said, have a chip on their shoulder. I just look at it as I do believe that a guy like Paul Mary and the players that were struggling towards the end of the season are going to wake up in the playoffs. I think it's just a new animal, a new element. I think Trotz has shown over the last three years when the Islanders have made the playoffs under him that he gets them ready to go. Okay. And again, they... Islanders, no matter where they finish, go with that underdog mentality, and they've been there before. You know, a couple years ago, we could say, yeah, they're a veteran team, but zero playoff experience. They're like rookies going to the playoffs. When I got three seasons, uh, this will be the third season in a row that you're making the playoffs. You've gone farther and farther each year, and you could say whatever you want about it being a fluke last year. Or it was, a, it was, they shouldn't have been in the playoffs. Whatever it was, well, they were. They were there, and they got valuable. They got valuable experience under their belt, and what it takes to win. Kyle Kuzmic said last year showed us how hard it is to get to where we want to go, and I think the Islanders can make this a tough series. I do believe it could go either way, and I think it will go six games. But I'm going to see the Islanders find a way because I trust. Yeah, again, playoffs defense is a big thing, but I do trust the Islanders defense and goaltending a lot more because you look at the Penguins defense. I mean, it's not it's not a stable group, and they are, we have seen during the year where they just completely fall apart. Yep. Now, the Islanders have had games where they've fallen apart as well, but not to that level. I just think the going to have to battle it at away because the Islanders have been subpar on the road. I mean, not a great road record at all. But I think the Islanders can take one of two on the road, come home to a packed Coliseum in their last ever season at the um, NASA Veterans Memorial Coliseum. I think that gives them a good chance to take this series, and I think it will end in six. I'm going to give it to the Islanders just because I do truly believe that defense wins championship and the penguins are a little flawed on that area of the ice.
0: So um, to go off your road record point, you you mentioned they do struggle on the road. I think that the biggest thing for them and what's going to make me feel like I'm wrong is if they can jump on Tristan Jari early in game one and they could just kind of demoralize his confidence where for a team that has struggled to score, it would boost theirs. And and then I think the Islanders take this series, but if they look like that same road team in the first couple of shifts and it's going to be tough because, like I said, Pittsburgh, all they have to do is hold home ice.
3: No, that, exactly. That's all they have to do. But you also look at as the Islanders' stats in the regular season when they score first is unreal. It's going to be about scoring That's first. why I'm saying I really oh, – yeah.
0: I don't know. This is a toss-up in my mind. It's like I'm 51% to 49% Penguins right now just because of home ice yeah, and, yeah. and because of the chip. But Like I, like I it said,
3: right. it could go, go either way, and obviously every series can go either way. It's why the NHL is the greatest league on the planet because it's just – that competitive i just think it's going to come down to these games are going to be close i think we're going to see some overtime games as well we saw overtime games in the past so i just think it's going to be a, a rather exciting series to say the least but I, i'm going to go islanders i know you're going to go penguins and we'll talk about it hopefully one of us is right and hopefully it's me because I'll be well, one, of
0: us will be right. <laughs> one of us will be right That's good.
3: someone on the back check will be right which is always a positive brendan let's move we on we just though. keep
0: picking opposites and that way yeah. we look for geniuses
3: uh, sure i mean okay next one You got Capitals at Bruins. I'll go first. Honestly, I don't think the Capitals stand a chance. And here's why. I just – something about going into the playoffs, feeling so good about yourself. First off, the Capitals are, you want to say banged up, sure. They're having COVID issues again. Samsonov, I'm pretty sure Kuznetsov are still on there. Ovechkin, even if he plays, Ovechkin's not 100%. And we saw in last year's playoffs – that this team had a problem of waking up. Now they have a new head coach. Laviolette's a great coach. But you're also looking at, okay, who do they start in goal? If Samsonov can't go, the trust in Vanacek. But Vanacek has never played in the playoffs. A young uh, goalie's coming in to play in the playoffs. A new team. Their defense...
0: You don't is- think Samsonov's going to play?
3: I don't know. This is his second time battling COVID. He, he, he took the first hit really hard. I mean, he, he was out a long time. The conversation was, who do we go with, Vanacek or Samsonov? Like, it was still a debate towards the end of the season. I think you go Vanacek. If Samsonov's ready to go, you go him. But, again, he, who do you? That, it's a hard thing to decide right when you're about to start playoffs. And I do think with them being banged up, now they have depth. Don't get me wrong. Eddie Mantha was great. Oshie's TJ Oshie. always going to do what he's got to do. And if Ovechkin's healthy, they're dominant. I just look at this Boston Bruins team, and for whatever reason, their defense isn't great. But Tuka Rask is going into the playoffs, lights out. Taylor Hall looks to be reborn, and he has got a chip on his shoulder. And watching the game against the Islanders the other night, it just showed that this Bruins team that we had questions about their defense, questions about their structure, you know, health. Passing hadn't been the same player he was coming back, whatever. I just look at this Bruins team in the same way you look at the Penguins, whereas, you know, what's their window, right? You look at the Penguins, and they're running out of time. You look at the Capitals too; they're running out of time with Lavetch. And you look at the Bruins; they're not super old, but you look at, you know, another year for Marchand, another year for Bergeron. You know, what is their window? They have a, they have a questionable defense, which again could be explo- You know, could be terrible for them in the playoffs. We'll see what happens. I just don't know. Something about this Bruins team, man. I I, I think they could have, if this was a full season, they could have probably finished atop this division. And just going in the playoffs, one of those teams that always finds a way to get it done in the playoffs. I, I think we could see the ruins in the Stanley Cup finals, honestly.
0: Hmm. It's interesting. I, I'm going to go the opposite route. I'm not going to give away too much, but I'm writing an article about it now. And I think you're underestimating the power of Zidane Chara. I think that this Capitals team is going to rally around that. He does not want to lose to the team that said, you'll be a healthy scratch. We're not going to give you that same role. Capitals took him in, and I think that that's going to hold some weight in this series, and it's going to be fun to watch him battle his former team. And the Bruins are very good. Like, I think the Bruins are very good, but the Capitals, they have a chip too from last year, man. And it, they have a question mark and goal share, but that's a team that you, you don't want to have to square off against in the playoffs, and I just, I just don't trust the Bruins defensively. I don't – after watching them play the Rangers and, and seeing what the Rangers did after struggling the whole final stretch of that season, they still just managed to go through them. I mean, Ovechkin healthy at, at 65% can still score from his goal. yeah. And there, there are certain aspects there. If they can get everybody back, I'm not sure what Wilson's status is. I mean, I'm not sure about Kuznetsov. But-
3: they have a lot of question marks. That's what I'm trying to say. Going into a playoffs, I don't know. I just – Taylor Hall is one of those guys that if he truly wakes up and plays to be that elite player that he can be, playing on their second line. Bruce Bergeron is one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL. I think that's the best not even two-way
0: player, player of all time. Yeah,
3: I don't think that's up for debate. And when you look at their goals allowed per games played this season, I'm just looking it up real quick for us. Let's see. They finished. They their defense that was quote unquote questionable. Brendan was fourth best in the NHL. It was fourth best. They allowed 2.39 goals per game. The leading was Vegas at 2.18. Okay, so their defensive questions that we have, which are fair, came around this season and played quite quite well. Now you look at the Capitals and their goals against per games played this season. is 17th in the NHL at 2.88. Capitals are those scoring 3.36 goals per game. The Bruins are only scoring 2.93. So it's going to come down to one of those things. It's going to be like what we saw with the Islanders when they played the Panthers last year in the qualifier rounds. You have an offensive, talented team with questionable defense going against a team that's been better defensively with questionable offense at times. I think this series, though, is going to be fun to watch. I do think it's going to be more offensive than the Islanders one. I just think that both teams have so many weapons. And Tukoraz has been great, don't get me wrong, but I just think... I think offense is going to be the reason one team moves on rather than defense. When I look at the Islanders-Penguins series, I think it's going to be whichever team plays the better defense is going to win that series.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And like I said, I'm writing something about this, so it's going to piss Rangers fans off too, which is fun. Um, go to Canada now. Let's rapid fire this quick. Toronto okay. plays Montreal for the nope, first time in like it. 50 I, years.
3: Toronto, if, okay, let, let's put it this way. If Toronto doesn't win this series – Oh, the hell that will break loose. I think they just – honestly, we, we talked about Toronto and how they played in a division where defense was just not a thing. No one showed up defensively. This is a series where Toronto's offense is just going to – I don't think Montreal can overcome the offensive skill set that they have. Forget whoever is in goal. doesn't matter. Carey Price could be a star and be lights out. We said last year when we talked about it, Brendan, if the yep. Pan- if the Canadians were going to win the series – Price is going to have to be Price, and he was. So you look at it that way, but I just think doesn't matter how good Price is. Toronto's going to wipe the floor at them. I say I'll give Montreal a game. Five games, I'll say. Toronto wins it.
0: Yeah, Toronto in six just because it's still a rivalry, so I'll give yeah. them two. Um, Edmonton and Winnipeg.
3: I'm going Edmonton. I just – I right now you can't stop Connor McDavid, and I think this – again, this division is not going to be defensive-based at all. I think Edmonton's going to find a way to score goals. I think it goes more than – I think it goes six games. It could go six or seven games. I just think right now, the way McDavid's entering the playoffs, the confidence in that offense, goaltending's been pretty solid as well. I just, you know, Winnipeg, Winnipeg's a good team. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think they're there yet. I think Edmonton will win this series, and then we'll figure out next uh, next round. But I think Edmonton takes this one. I'd say honestly, I'll say seven games, Edmonton.
0: I'll take McDavid in five. Not even just Edmonton. Just I'm just just, just McDavid. McDavid. Yeah. That's all that they need. Uh, Carolina and Nashville.
3: <sighs> Carolina. I just – Rob Brindamore, first off to me, is just one of the greatest coaches in this league right now. What he gets out of this team and you look at – when you think of Carolina, you know, they're strong players. But it reminds me a little bit of a Vegas team just for the sense that, you know, when you think of elite talent, you know, they have guys like Aho, They have guys like Fetchikov. Like they have those guys. Don't get me wrong. But it's a bunch of – Second, third liners that just step up and get the job done every night. They have three great goaltenders. Who's going to start? Is the rookie going to start, you think? I can't pronounce the Russians guy's name or whatever his name is.
0: I don't know. I, mean, I, would, I would think that Peter Morazic starts.
3: I think Morazic starts as well. We saw what he did in the playoffs a couple years ago. So I don't know. I think this Nashville team is a great story that they made the playoffs after an abysmal start. And uh, is, you know just finished a historic mark and whatever he's doing has been great. But Sars is the starter. I I like I like Carolina. I just think as a team game, the way they play, their style is gonna do wonders for Na- against Nashville. I think that series ends in five games.
0: Carolina in four.
3: You're going with the sweep. E- easy. All right, easy sweep. All right, Florida at Tampa. This one is going to be so fun because has this ever happened? I don't think so.
0: I, I don't know. I mean – I don't
3: think this match – They both had happened. to make
0: the playoffs for it to happen, and I don't think that they've made the playoffs usually at the same time.
3: What Joe Quinnville has done with this team, and obviously Tampa's Tampa, I don't – I didn't love what I saw from Tampa this entire season. I didn't think – Yes, yeah, they were – Here they are Tampa's. sitting
0: there at 36-17-3. No,
3: no, no. Yes. But when they lost games, it wasn't like – They didn't look they didn't look good. And we It's been a while since we've seen the Lightning not look good, but they do get Kucherov back, which people are forgetting. Kudrow's back, Stamkos I think is going to be back, and you have the best goaltender in the entire NHL, and they overmatch you offensively and defensively. I think it's a great story for Florida. I think it's going to be a tough series, but I do think that Tampa Tampa makes it through just because of what they are capable of when they're all together. But again, Florida, what they did without Ekblad, I think no one really talks about the Ekblad injury anymore. It's crazy. It's like they didn't skip a beat when Ekblad went down. That's your number one defenseman. And yeah. I think that in the playoffs, though, that's all good for the regular season and against bad teams. I think in the playoffs, though, without your number one defenseman, it's very tough against an offensive juggernaut like the Lightning.
0: Yep. And I'm taking the Lightning in six. And this is the only reason I'm giving. And it's the only reason needed. Lightning are 36, 17, and three. Andre Vasilevsky's 31, 10, and one. So when they lose, it's because he's not in net. Yeah. He's in net in the playoffs. They're winning. I'm sorry. I don't trust Florida's goaltending enough. I don't trust their defense enough without Ekblad. They're going to score, but Tampa's going to score more, and I think I think Tampa Bay wins the series. Now, we don't know in the Honda West Division what's happening yet in regards to standings. There still could be some maneuverability at the top. Um, it, Minnesota and St. Louis are pretty much locked into 3-4, but there is a two-point difference between Vegas and Colorado, but I'm pretty sure that it is Vegas playing St. Louis and Colorado playing Minnesota. So
3: I'll either way
0: – Doesn't matter. It's Vegas and Colorado playing in the next round.
3: I'm gonna. I'm not gonna 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 say that, right? No, I'm not.
0: You think Minnesota is gonna beat somebody?
3: I think if it stays what it is right now, Vegas wipes the floor with St. Louis. Goodbye. Vegas is gone. Minnesota for too damn long kept losing to Colorado every time they played in the playoffs. It was like Minnesota would make it, they'd face Colorado and lose. But something is telling me about this Minnesota Wild team right now that if they play Colorado, they can find a way to get it done. Now, again, if Vegas plays Minnesota, I don't think it has a chance. Colorado's had struggled throughout the year, and obviously they they fell off a little bit. They're trying to get back on track. The, uh, the elite level they are obviously they've been good enough the whole season but that elite level Vegas has you know stepped in front of them a bit they're second in the
0: league in points
3: no I know but they, <laughs> they've fallen off a little bit from their elite status for like a week or so I don't know Minnesota Brennan Kaprizov Kaprizov you pronounce it he just brings life to this team this is the first time Minnesota Wilds has had a star that it's like okay we have to watch when he sets foot on the rink I don't know if Minnesota plays Colorado I think Minnesota takes that series I, I don't know. I just have that hunch, Brendan. I can't give you a real reason. I just think something about Minnesota being, you know, that lower team against Colorado every single time they face, I think it's time to change the narrative.
0: Yeah, I think that if they play, it's going to be Colorado in five. I don't think that you realize how nasty this no, team no, is. No, no, I
3: realize <laughs> how nasty they are. I just – something about this Minnesota team this year feels different.
0: Do you remember just... when they played – and in the playoffs a couple of years back and McKinnon put Jared Spurgeon in an absolute blender. Yes. Like that's going to happen again. You're not stopping them. Miko Rantan, you can't stop him. You can't stop McKinnon. You're not going to stop Landis God. You're not going to stop McCarr. They, Grubauer's been very good this year. They have the defense. They have the offense. That is a collision course between the two best teams in the league. And I don't care what you say. Uh, Minnesota had a great season, you know, hats off to them. I'm sorry that you have to wind up playing Colorado, but you are going to get pumped. If you think they're good right now, just wait until it says postseason on that ice surface. Like you're talking about the two best teams in the league one, two in their division. It's a shame. It's actually a travesty. Yeah. I'm going to use a big word. It's a travesty that we have to watch Vegas play Colorado in the second round of the freaking playoffs. Okay. Sorry. That should never, ever happen. This should be a conference final matchup because they're going to beat the living crap out of each other.
3: I don't know. Again, something about Minnesota to me this year just makes me feel like they have a better chance than they've ever had. To if
0: Minnesota plays Colorado and wins, the next episode that we have after that, I will come on and I will apologize. I just see 0% chance of that happening. So after this commercial break, we'll be joined by Rob Shrimp. Don't go anywhere. We have partnered with Rob Shrimp and his company, 44 Vision Hockey. Stefan, take away a little ad read for him, and don't miss that interview coming up in about a minute.
3: 44 Vision Hockey's immersive training model is laser-focused on helping amateur players like you develop the individual skills necessary to realize your hockey goals, improve your hockey IQ, and gain an edge over other players using state-of-the-art video analysis technology, hand-in-hand with our expert coaches who's achieved at the highest levels in both the men's and women's game, including the NHL, Olympics, and NCAA. Be the best by learning from the best. Follow them on Instagram for free video breakdowns or subscribe to their YouTube channel and visit them online at 44visionhockey.com to get Hi, I'm Maria.
1: And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team ready. Ready.
3: Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready.
1: It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible.
3: Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather.
1: Be ready for anything. Go to BlackHillsEnergy.com slash started.
3: Joining the show now is former Islander and NHLer Rob Shrimp. Rob, how are you doing today?
2: Doing well, boys. Thanks for having me on.
3: No problem. So I'll kick it off. What's the biggest difference in in gameplay between the NHL and overseas hockey?
2: Uh, obviously, the the ice size is a factor. You know, the bigger ice in Europe, it, it's it makes a huge difference. Uh, when you start talking about you know trajectories to the net, shots on net, uh, you know they're further away. Um, so for for that uh, going into that, it's where North America I find it's more you know sort of one pass and it's a deadly scoring chance. Not always, but in a situation, let's say like a half wall play into the middle of the ice, it's bang bang. Where in Europe, it's more I think. From my experience, you have to make two, sometimes three passes to get a really good grade A scoring chance, uh, especially with the way it's played over there. They really pack the middle of the ice so they don't give up deadly scoring chances and they leave the room to the outside. So uh, it's probably that, you know, and that's that's a huge difference. That's why you see the point totals are way different in, in Europe. Uh, a point a game guy in Europe is actually, like, really – that's an amazing season, you know, uh, where from when I was playing in North America, like, my junior days, you know – a hundred point season was, was a good year. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit different there the, the ring size. And, and
3: that creates a lot of different, uh, you know, dynamic to it. So what's the, uh, is the language barrier a hard thing to overcome there?
2: It is tough. Yeah, it definitely is tough when in, in everyday life, for sure. So, I mean, it's tough to have conversations going to the grocery store, trying to get your stuff that you need. It's tough. Um, it's, it's tough to get around, but you know, when you start talking hockey, that's, you know, that's universal. So it's, that's the easiest part is, is being on the ice, but you know, away from the rink for sure. The language barrier plays a part.
0: Yeah. I can imagine that I'm one that's definitely not bilingual. So that's terrible. Yeah. For me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my was. daughter's,
2: my, my daughter's trilingual and I, I'm still stuck on one.
0: So <laughs> embarrassing. She's three. That's awesome. Yeah. that That's so difficult. I just can't do that. But so jumping back to your NHL days, what was your favorite part of being an Islander? Like best game memory, that type of thing.
2: Uh, being an Islander, just being part of it, such a you know rich history, an organization with such a rich history and having those kind of people be around, Trotier, uh, you know Mike Bossy, these guys, these former players were always around and helpful and, and giving tips and watching the games. And uh, that was really unique. And, and actually being that close to home was, was really something special. For me, it's upstate New York. Fulton, New York is was only about four and a half hours away. So being closer to home was really great. Uh, for, for an on-ice memory, it would ha- probably be – you know, the goal, baseball goal in Colorado um, or a couple of those shootout goals that I, I was fortunate enough to put away. And, uh, you know, being a shootout specialist and that and the baseball goal were the things that stuck out for me in, in, as my time in the
3: island. The baseball goal and the shootout stuff is exactly what I was going to talk to you about. We'll get to that in a little bit. Right, we went to school actually in Cortland. So. Yep. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, um, Homer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. so did you grow up an Islander fan?
2: No, I honestly, no, I didn't. I, I was more – actually, I was probably going to get more <laughs> this one. But, I, you know, the Rangers, Mike Richter, I always wanted to be Mike Richter. Mark Messier were, like, kind of my idols growing up. And uh, the off, off-wing snapshot by Mark Messier, the New Jersey Devils goal, I, I imagined myself doing that a million times. And then uh, I, used, I was big into the split glove saves as a young kid. So I had a, a New York Rangers helmet, and I was Mike Richter always growing up. So uh, I know the Islanders fans probably don't want to hear that, but – uh, when they give you a job,
3: you're a fan of whoever that is.
0: <laughs> yeah. He was smart growing up. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so I'm a goalie as well. And I, yeah, the split saves, the glove saves, those are absolute, you know, those are confidence boosters. But for, again, you grew up, you said a Ranger fan and you played for the Islanders. What is that rivalry like?
2: It was electric. You know, it was, it was crazy. The fans really took it, took it. I remember the one night I was actually not playing that game and Play was going down the ice, and then the building was going nuts. And it was not something where there was a developing play, right? So I'm kind of like, what the hell's going on? I look over to my left. There's like a 10-on-10 10 10 absolute brawl going on in the stands. And these these men, these grown men, were just absolutely pumping each other. So the rivalry was there. The, the bad blood was there. And the chants going back and forth. It was very electric. And it was, it was something cool to be a part of. And, and obviously the pride thing of, of, of being a player going against the Rangers, you know, they're kind of like the whatever, the wealthy – rich kids against us like junkyard dogs sort of mentality. So um, definitely we had a passion for that game and, and it was something that whenever those games occurred, it was, you could feel a you know, it was a different night. It was not just a normal, whatever Tuesday night game. of the Islanders would come to the building or the Rangers are come to the building and we're going to, you know, we're going to fight it out.
0: We've always wondered, like, we know what it's like from the fan perspective. Like, we're used to those 10-on-10 brawls while we're watching the games. But from the players' perspective, I've always wondered if it was just another hockey game or if you could feel like there's that energy in that building and you kind of raise your game to that next level.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a pride thing there. And and being the best team in the area, you kind of want to prove yourself. And, and, and again, that's how I felt when we were there. It's more like, yeah, I just said it. But, like, we're the junkyard dogs and they're the, you know, the wealthy, wealthy side of it, like almost like Greece. Uh, it's, it's so it was it was a pretty unique experience to be part of. And, and, you know, I don't know how it is now. I'm obviously not there, but I think there's still a lot of pride in those games. And, and, and when you're playing in, a, in any organization, you're you're playing for your fans. And if, what your fans passion is, is, is kind of, you know, as a player, you want to produce for them or put on a show for them. And, and you know that that game means a lot to the fans. So uh, there's a lot of pride in that for sure as a player.
0: Is there anything like that in Latvia right now in the league that you're playing in?
2: Uh, no, no, nothing like that. There was more, a lot more stuff like that in, in Switzerland and uh, Sweden. Well, actually, my first year in Sweden, there was, there was, they call them the Derby games or whatever the, the Derby games. And we had a team when I was playing for Modo, it was uh, Lulia. And it was one of our first games. Freddie Meyer and I actually, it was one of our first games. And uh, right before the game started, they actually, for some dumb reason they put both fan bases in the same side of the ice, like same corner, like just to put a fence between the two of them. And right before the game started, they started shooting road flares at each other. And they we're like, you know, we had to go off the ice and actually there was a delay for like 30 minutes till the smoke cleared. But like, that's how passionate these, you know, these fans were. It's like they were going at it and it's, it's like religion to them. So um, it was wild, but in Latvia, no, this is more like a, you know, the league I played in this year was, Uh, More of like a, you know, it's more like a development league for some young guys. And then on the other side of it, there's two sides of the coin. There's a bunch of older guys that already had their careers and just want to stay competitive. Pretty much that's what side I fall into. (laughs) And then there's some young kids that are trying to, you know, get ready to maybe possibly make a jump over to the States and go play D1 or find a spot in the USHL. So it wasn't so much like that.
0: That's awesome. That's a good little parody there. Then. I know that like overseas in Europe and everything, it's more soccer style crowds that are chanting and stuff like that. And we don't really have that as much here. So I heard that uh, that kind of environment's awesome, too. But being in Lafayette, obviously, there's a huge time difference between there and the US. So have you been able to stay in touch with like the NHL? What's going on? Or are you solely focused on uh, the Lafayette hockey scene?
2: Yeah, no, I watch. I watch NHL. Uh, usually, watch the early games. I don't watch the West Coast games. It's like four o'clock in the morning for me when those start, so I get up, watch the highlights and watch the recaps from the other games. But paying attention, staying tuned with it, seeing what you know for me, it's about studying the game and seeing what the trends are and see what guys are doing. So just to stay up to speed and, and obviously in the lane that I am in now, it's really important to understand what the game's doing. So it's unique and for me, being able to stay, you know, have an experience in North America, I actually had experience in pretty much. Globally, i played in all the top leagues in the world. Um, It gives me a chance to work with players everywhere and not have it be in theory. It's out of like experience and understanding what what's successful, what works in these areas. So uh, I I just watch it to study and see what's what's still, you know, what players are doing, what again, what the trends are and what the things that uh, are successful are. Study them, break them down. And usually a lot of times I'll use those for clients and and show them the good clips and show them the bad clips, show them what the faults were.
3: So the way you're talking about the league in Latvia now where it's developmental, clear clear as day you can tell that you have a coach's mindset. And I just want to ask you a little bit about your company, 44 Vision Hockey. When did you get started on that? And, you know, what's the biggest difference between your company and others out there when it's trying to get those younger players to that next step?
2: We started actually almost a year ago to the day we launched. Uh, I started working with players two years ago. Roughly two years ago, I got an Instat account and I started just playing around on it. And it was amazing the way that it was really, what's the right word? Exciting for me. Cause a lot of times I talk hockey and I'm trying to talk to you and I'm trying to help you see the picture, so to speak, when I'm speaking to you and it's hard for people to imagine it. And then even if you grab a whiteboard chalkboard and you start drawing up plays, it's more effective than talking and, and speaking. It's you know, illustrating. But with this stuff, with the video work, you really, you're building picture memory of game, like, you know, game scenarios, actual game scenarios. And with these players, we're using their game film to show them. And with our knowledge and experience, it's stuff that is, you know, it's it's not theoretical, it's it's factual, you know, certain things about how to turn a defenseman or how to create an offensive chance. Here's the details. Here's the video clip where you did it wrong. Here's what you could have done better, articulate it for them. And really it's just a little bit different in that aspect where we're taking these players. I'm not sure if if we're so much as uh, so much proprietary, what we're doing, but the people's, brains that we have on our platform are, are what makes us special. Uh, we've got about 30, 34 coaches and we have guys that play in the NHL. Uh, we have women's players that are on the national Olympic teams. Um, so that, you know, the, the experience and knowledge is what makes it really special. And I think that's a valuable thing, you know, to, to be able to show these players how to succeed in their game film. So I think what I've found is a lot of people like to use the top dogs, you know, the OBs, the coaches use those clips, a 15-year-old kid isn't Obi. Nope. You can tell him why Obi does what he does, and I can break down why Obi's effective and how his technique is with shooting and then teach a kid that shooting and let him grow and do the reps and get to the place where he can hopefully someday catch up to Obi. But I think it's – where I think it's more valuable is taking, you know, each individual player's own stuff and showing them the details and explaining them the details, where they went wrong, and – you know, it's just a little different lane than, than what's out there. It's a lot more right now. There's a lot of private skills coach per se, uh, player development stuff, but this this stuff is more hockey IQ and game scenario. So it's I think it's unique in some sense. And what makes it really unique is absolutely is the people that we have on board.
0: Yeah, that's definitely awesome because when I played, I know if that was available, people turned me around as a defenseman enough. So they would have now had a new edge. And that's something that I'm glad that wasn't around when I was playing. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know that like just like you said, we had video sessions, but it was all just game, never focused on one individual. So that was definitely that would be extremely beneficial. So you said you still catch up with some of the NHL stuff. So I'm assuming that you saw what happened with uh, Tom Wilson and the Rangers the other night, or at least heard about it. I just wanted to get your take on that. And does it remind you anything of when you were a member of the Islanders? You had that little game against the Penguins. I know that that was all Islanders fans remember that night and (laughs) just over 300 penalty minutes and just Donnie Brooks seemingly all over the ice. So is that kind of a, a flashback for you? And What's your take on that incident?
2: Yeah. You know, stuff happens. It's a physical game and, and it's, a you know, it's a barbaric game and that's, it's always been that way. You know, the league's been built off of that for years and years and years of it. And it's changed. The game's changed a lot now, or it's much more skilled, but what happened there, and this is my opinion. And if I get attacked for it, then I get attacked for it. But like what happened there was Mickey Mouse compared to what used to happen. Uh, if you watch some of the old classic stuff, they're like tomahawk slashing each other <laughs> really high sometimes over the head, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate that you know Tom went after a skilled couple couple skilled guys. You know, he 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 bullied, He's big. He's strong. He's tough, and he he used that. And that happens in our game. And it's it's really, in my opinion, it's on the Rangers to answer the bell. Uh, you know, he wasn't scared to do it. He wasn't intimidated to do it. He did it, and then he also was afterwards, like kind of rubbing in their face with his antics in the penalty box. You yeah. know, and yeah. there's a lot of outcry about what happened, but. It wasn't like a – I don't know. I didn't think it was that dramatic for, for me. And even if, if – let's say I put myself in Panarin's shoes, which that would have been the same scenario. If that was me, I would be the skilled guy getting mauled by a bully. Um I wouldn't be that upset about it. I would just hope that my team would answer the bell and help me out because I know that if I would, if if our Timmy Panarin gets up and tries to fight Wilson, he'd probably knock him. You know, <laughs> you Absolutely. know how that fight would go. Yeah, yeah. you know, you don't, you know, when that's the game, right? Like you don't expect your skill guys to have to stand the ground against a guy like that. So you know, it's just the way it is. It's just I think it needs to be the bell needs to be answered. It did the next night. You know, they went out and they stuck up for themselves, and uh, that's part of the game. You know, it's part of the game in some regards. It's how the games been for a hundred years yep. now again, it's the landscape is changing people's appetite for what we'll called violence is changing and realizing, you know, it's, it's a different world. And the the fights have long-term effects when guys get knocked out or concussions and, and we're trying to get away from that. But there's two sides of the coin. How many people tuned into the next night and watch that game? How much conversation was about that game? Um, it's, you know, for the league stance, it's good for marketing. <laughs> Your money speaks. Yeah, as money much as speaks.
0: people, say, as learned, much as people say they don't like it, man, they, they ne-
3: do. <laughs> ne- negative attention is attention. We've learned about that. I mean, it truly is. But I do want to go back to what Brennan said about the Islanders-Penguins, bro. I know you were a scratch that game, but I was fortunate enough to be a young kid at that game. I just remember looking at the benches, like four or five guys on the bench, penalty boxes filled to the max. Penalty score board had like 300 and something penalty minutes. What was it like? after the game, in the locker room, after a game on like that, because the Islanders, absolutely, you guys destroyed the Penguins, but it must have been surreal in the locker room after that.
2: Yeah, no, it was electric, you know, the, the game, that all stemmed from the game before when we played them, and, and Ricky Pietro unfortunately, got dropped by Johnson, um, you know, we got kind of laughed out of the building and embarrassed, so that was one of those things, again, the, the organization was going to answer the bell, and they did, you know, Trevor Gillies, we had a Trevor Gillies answered the bell. Michael Haley took – that's what I – that's why I got scratched that night so Michael Haley could be in the lineup. And with us putting up eight goals, I think that might have been the only time that year we put up eight goals. I would have liked to have been out there to get some cookies, <laughs> But I realized, you know, I wasn't going to have an impact on the game physically. So it made sense to do that. And the guys in the room afterwards, you know, that kind of stuff is – it's camaraderie and it's – it's uh, it builds a lot of energy. It builds a lot of bond, you know, to, to answer the bell like that and go out and, and – and basically tell the league we're not going to be pushed around, and especially the Penguins, you know, because the other thing, the Penguins constantly kick the crap out of us. Like Crosby would have point night after point night against us, and, and then to have Ricky get, you know, dropped like that in a scrap, uh, it was time to stand up for ourselves as an organization in the conference. And, um, you know, the boys really, really uh, rallied around that. It was It's so much energy, you know what I mean? It's boys being boys, and, you know, Fortunately, that they allow fighting in hockey, so you can. It's not like they did something where, like, oh, they're going to get in trouble legally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just something that's it's wild. It's so much adrenaline for the guys, and they're all pumped up. And even being a guy up in the stands watching Bales go after, you know, Bales got into a fight that night. Josh Bailey did a good job against Dupuis and other guys getting in the mix. Uh, you know, the other one too. It wasn't just Ricky. Uh, Max Talbot ran that same game when Ricky got hurt. Ran Blake Como from behind, almost broke his neck. Uh, was kind of bananas because we actually the year before went down to Cabo with on the all star or the uh, Olympic team break. We all went down to Cabo together: Bruno Gervais, uh, Max Talbot, Blake Como, myself. So the fact that Maxi ran Blake through the wall like that was bananas. Um, so it was good that guys stuck up for each other and and again set a precedent because that's that's what needs to happen. Really, uh, what else happened? What else do you do if that's not the answer? I don't know. I don't know. I'm only, I grew up in the game, and I, that's how I understood the game. Do you let it sit in the league and let them make the call on it? Or the next time you play each other, you're like, yeah, you want to play? You want to play? Okay. <laughs> you know, like, and that's how it goes.
0: Got to police itself. So <laughs> the league clearly dropped the ball. So <laughs> the I mean, everybody on the
2: outside said. has their opinion. They're like that's not how it's supposed to be done. As a hockey player, and I'm not a fighter. I'm not saying I'm going to go in there and break anybody's jaw or fight and make someone pay the price. I, I just grew up in the game and I understand when those things happen, what it takes, and how you feel as a guy in the bench. If you're a guy on the bench for the team on the losing side, like the first time when we were in Pittsburgh, Ricky gets his jaw broken. Combs almost gets a, Combs get a concussion, almost broke his neck. The next night when, or the next time we play them, when we answer the bell, I know. It, at least a guy on the team on the flip side that now you're like, okay, guys have to pay once they're going to do something to me on this team. Where yeah. for a team that sits around and is like, let the league take care, but let the league take care, of it. that's not very comforting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's uh, so it's it's a tricky slope, but I think uh, good for the Rangers for standing up for themselves and, and, and coming out the next time and next,
3: literally the next night and dropping the mitts. So something must have happened in Cabo. So- no, we had a
2: blast, man. I mean, we had a blast. We had a good time together. It was a great click, and you know, we were all having a blast. So that's it's just things happen. It's not nothing like that. You know, we're all buddies, but when the game, the puck drops, we're all competitive. I really don't think Maxie meant to, You know, was like, oh, Blake, let me run him through the wall. It's just Max played on the edge a little bit, and you know, wind up being Combs that took it. I don't think he did it on purpose or you know, targeted him per se. But it still was a dangerous play. Hit him like a foot away from the wall, and really could have hurt him. So. Uh, anyways, nothing happened in Cabo. <laughs> <laughs>
3: the last question I have about that game. So you're you're sitting in the box watching the game, and you see Haley jump off the bench and go right toward Johnson. What your initial reaction? What do you, what are you thinking in that moment? Is about to happen?
2: I Johnson's going to get smoked because my I know Michael Haley from junior, and Michael Haley is a tough yeah. sob, uh, smaller guy. I never seen him lose a fight. And Hales is super tough, so I'm like perfect, you know, because. You want repercussion for Ricky, man. Ricky's, you know, broken jaw, broken orbital. Like, it's your teammate, your brother, and, and seeing what happened to him. And uh, watching Hales go down the ice is like, oh, my God. But then I seen Goddard jump off the bench, and I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, Hales, Hales, because I didn't think Hales saw him. You know, and Goddard's a monster. Yeah. I mean, Goddard slattered uh, big guy Steve McIntyre's face earlier that year in a fight broke his whole face. So I didn't think Michael had a good chance when Goddard was coming after him. But initially, when he was going after Johnson, I was like, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it was it was it was electric. The the building was crazy that night, and it was you know a lot of energy, and you know it was pretty, it was a cool experience, even from the press box.
3: So I'm watching the game and with my dad, and the plays on the other end of the ice. And I go to my dad, I'm like, Dad, Dad, as Healy's as Healy's coming off the bench because no one's watching that; they're watching the play, and it just went. Absolutely nuts to get you know. You spoke about your your favorite moments as an Islander. You talk about that, the, the catch the puck, baseball swing it. I don't know if you could take us through you know, slow the game down in that moment. Obviously, you're trying to catch it and drop it and shoot it. But did you think was it just luck that you were making contact there, or was that the game plan to whack it out of midair? oh
2: no, yeah, I, the puck came from Franz Nielsen came down that the, the whatever way you're looking. If you're looking from the news zone down down the right side, I was on the goal line almost. And he took a clapper, high blocker, and it was up in the air. And as it was up in the air, I could see it coming. And as I, out of my peripheral, I saw Adam foot turn around. And knowing who's on the ice is important. I know the foot is a really physical guy. And I think, like, if I put this thing down in the ice, as I put it down, I'm going to get smoked. Like, that's – he was turning to come at me. So as I batted it down, I'm like, just hit it. So I tried to put a little touch on it. I touched it perfectly. And as it was coming down, it was kind of in slow motion. It was just sitting there. And I'm like, man, this thing's on a tee. And I just – it was in perfect waist height, and I swiped at it, and that was my thought process: was get it off before foot gets here. Because if he would have got there, the play would have been dead. There's, no, you know, I wouldn't had time to escape and get away from him. Uh, it's happening pretty fast, so it was again. The puck was coming kind of in slow motion, and, and my hand-eye coordination kicked in, and I hit it perfectly. Once I hit it, I was like, "Oh, that felt good." <laughs> and then I went right under the bar, and I went to celebrate, and then next thing you know, I hear I hear no goal. I was in the middle of fist pumping, celebrating this thing, and, and the ref waved it off. And I was—I knew it was a goal. It was definitely yeah, a
3: crossfire. Clear as day.
2: And I was, like, kind of fired up that he blew my celebration, you know. <laughs> I was ready to sell you that. But, you got to sell you know, it it anyway. Was, it was a cool moment, you know. And the guy then net was a, a good friend. And Craig Anderson, I skated with uh, Andy for, like, five or six years in Chicago with a mutual agent of ours, Scott Norton. And uh, in the summertime, he used to, it was impossible to score on. Uh, he knew his angles so well, and getting to know each other, he knew where I was shooting. knew all, he knew me like could read me like a book. So, also to have that goal scored against Andy was like kind of a you know, A got you moment. A, 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 yeah, it was a nice little add on to it.
3: Did you play baseball growing up? I did. Yeah,
2: baseball across pretty much every sport until you know twelve years old. Then I turned on hockey, just just hockey.
3: So that's where the hand-eye coordination comes from. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So you talked about your uh, shootout mindset a little bit too. So the shootout has been a huge part of the game last 10 years. Now there's some people that are like three on three is so exciting. Maybe extend that, take away the shootout a little bit. What was your mindset when you were going? And did you have a set move that you would just bury it depending on the goalie or were you changing it up constantly?
2: I went with the uh, empty, empty thoughts. Like just go down and, and pick up information as I go down. Cause I think once you get your mindset on doing one thing, it uh, it really limits what you can do, and, and what happens is if that one thing's not open, you're screwed. So I went down there with more of an open mind, and would I just as I would come down, I'd keep my head up and gather information. How far out is the goalie? Where's he at? Is he moving? Can I? You know, I came down the right side a lot, and I would hit the brakes. When I hit the brakes, what that does is usually the goalie's trying to gap with you almost. So when I would hit the brakes here, and he would keep going back, it would push him back in the net more, and then I'd start picking up details. Can I shoot? Should I deke? Uh, so I had a few things that were kind of standard, but it was never pick up the puck and say, I'm going to go down and shoot low blocker. It was just pick the puck up. Okay. Start gathering information, see what the goalie's doing and then read and react. a uh, couple of things as well. A couple of shoulder fakes I would throw in there to get the goalie to bite. There's another thing with, with breakaways or shootouts when you can get the goalie's feet to set or freeze, that means you can, you have a chance to meet him laterally. So you try to make his feet, you know, square. There's details and that's, you know, that's what I try to teach my stuff. This is a long story long, but no, I I really would go down there. I had that one thing that I would do is hit the brakes. So it would change the gap between me and him. And then from there I would just kind of be creative and find a way to, to, to create a hole.
3: Yeah. It was, it was so fun watching in the shootouts. You used to do the, like the spiral where you'd come in and it was always fun to watch. We do have a few fan questions and, a little of them are redundant because your silky mitts have been the, the top part of the discussion. <laughs> Is that just from repetition? Like you said, you played sports going up, but what else do you attribute to your ability with your hands?
2: Lacrosse actually, honestly, a lot of it's lacrosse. I played lacrosse. And if you take, you know, if you know lacrosse, your hands are up here and you're cradling. If you take your hands down, once you can get really good lacrosse, your hands really whip around and you fake and you twirl and, and you got a defender that you got to beat. If you take your hands with that same motion, bring it down to a hockey stick it is quite, it very similar. And, you know, take it from there. Also, when I started doing the things with the lacrosse stick, uh, started doing things with a hockey puck, like a lacrosse stick, it's the same thing. You can cradle the puck with your hockey stick if you roll your wrist and keep it, you know, sort of like a lacrosse stick. So the lacrosse was a huge, I think, amp- amplifier of my game. My hands it really gave me a lot of uh, freedom in my wrist and control of the puck. Uh, you know, the next thing, too, is lacrosse is, uh, with all the tangibles that it takes to play lacrosse, as far as let's say snapping a pass, you have to snap your wrist, follow through. If you take it like a hockey stick, same thing, snapping it and you know aim at your target with weight transfer with the lacrosse stick. You take it, you plant on your back foot, and then you rotate and you weight transfer to your front foot, follow through. All these things translate to hockey, and I, I recommend that to, to anybody that asks me what, how, why, you know, how would your hands or what do you think would help my son. I'd say get him lacrosse stick. And you'll start to learn a lot. It loosens your hands up, loosens up your, you know, opens up creativity. And it teaches you a ton about, about the same tangibles that hockey takes.
3: I got no hands. It makes sense. I never played lacrosse, but um, <laughs> another fan question from uh, dead shark. He wants to know if you think die hard is a Christmas movie. <laughs> you know what? It is.
2: It absolutely. I mean, <laughs> If we think about it, no, it's not, but I mean, it, it does, it's such a reminder of Christmas. It's been played, it plays every year, and it is, you know, Bruce Willis is, is, is kind of Christmas special. Is that Die Hard is a Christmas movie?
3: I'd, I'd have to agree. Last one we got here is who is one of your, your better friends while on the team? I know you don't want to pick favorites, but someone that you, I guess, still in contact with today? Oh, I'd say.
2: I hung run out a ton with Josh Bailey and Kyle Poso. We, we were pretty – it was a good click. We all lived in uh, you know Stock – I think it was – I don't know what the name was. Stockbridge or there was something like that, the apartments we all lived in. It was like six or seven of us all in the same group. So, uh, But Oki and, and Bales were, were really good buddies of mine. And we got all really good with the Bailey family. They were down a lot. My family was down a lot. We hit it off great. So uh, it was a pretty cool tight-knit group. We had a good ping-pong crew, too, after we had uh, Mark Strike. Milan Jersina of Oki, myself. I mean, there's four or five, six of us. They used to stay like five, four or five hours after every practice and just play these big tournaments. And Strider being Swiss had the had the advantage. He was like the alpha Roger Federer of the of the locker room, but uh he was the kingpin to beat.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, JG Page on the Islanders now. They won the he won the ping pong. <laughs> so I guess we gotta set up a ping pong match between you and him because so he was the he was the top dog there.
2: Absolutely, he's got my number too. I got to take that. I got
3: to take the drone, man. He's rocking <laughs> he's got, the 4 4s. <laughs> yeah, he, he got that. But speaking of Kyle Post, I mean, he was growing up, was one of my favorite players to watch, just the way he carried himself. And now seeing him in, in Buffalo is a little tough because, you know, the, what's going on there is just an absolute S show there. But, I mean, playing with guys like Post and Bayley, and they're, they're still around playing. And, you know, what does that say about them as well? I mean, you got to know them fairly well, but about their commitment level to this sport?
2: Yeah, Oki was Okie and Bales are just constant, like constantly pro, like unbelievable pros, unbelievable, you know, with their preparation and just their character. You know, their character is unbelievable. Oki and Bales are both really good people, and you know, their drive for the game is is second to none. Um, yeah, it's just the way they prepare and the way they, they come to the rink every day, and the same, you know, they're the same person, the same good attitude, and uh, they're they're unbelievable teammates, unbelievable people. So that goes a long way as well. Um, yeah, it's tough to see Oki in this situation in Buffalo. and uh, It's tough to see him a couple years ago, even when he had that really bad concussion and he had a really, you know, severe, you know, situation there. He was in the hospital. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, you'd like to have – hopefully Oki can get a smoother path here going forward. Hopefully they turn things around there and he can be on more of a winning team because he is such a good character guy, would be huge – huge asset to a winning team with his depth, you know, the way he plays the game, both the ways of the puck and can create offense. He's not a, I wouldn't say, okay, he's a super high end top offensive guy, but the way he can create and plays both sides of the puck, he's he's definitely an asset to a team that's, you know, he's a depth player for, for a good team.
3: So Rob, we, we really do appreciate you coming on. This has been an absolute blast of an interview. So we really do appreciate it. No problem guys. I appreciate
2: you reaching out and good luck with the, with the pod going forward. If you ever need anything else, let me know. I'm, I'm here. You got my contact. The Back Check is your
1: one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Back Check. Follow the show on social media at Pod.